0: Welcome to another exciting episode of The Tax-Efficient Investor. Listen in as host Michael Johnston demystifies tax-efficient tactics to help you grow your wealth. We break down complex tax strategies and make them simple to understand and easy to implement. From HSAs to IRAs, 1031s, trusts, and more, we cover it all here on The Tax-Efficient Investor.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm Michael Johnston. Joining me today is Manish Bhatt. Manish is the Senior Policy Analyst with the Center for State Tax Policy at the Tax Foundation. Whew, that's a, a mouthful, but I got through it. Manish, thanks for joining me.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, Michael. I appreciate it.
1: So I'm I'm really excited to record this episode. I talk a lot about taxes, and I find myself a lot when I'm yeah giving commentary or running through a scenario or an analysis. I find myself saying a lot for purposes of simplicity, I'm just going to ignore state taxes. And I kind of hate doing that because it's really important, right? There's a, uh, it's a huge lever in a lot of analyses. There can be a big difference. But a lot of times it's just not practical uh, to go through. There's 50 states, obviously, plus District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, on and on. So it's just not practical to go through all of it. So anyways, I'm excited to give attention to something that I feel like I, I kind of unfairly gloss over a lot of times as i mentioned and you're about to learn uh, it's very important it makes a big difference there's a pretty big range here uh when it comes to to state taxes um so, so we're going to talk about uh, the tax foundation puts out a, a really great piece of research it's called the state business tax climate index there's a link to it in the show notes so if you're uh, if you're watching at a, a computer or able to pull that up um you may want to do that as you listen along so we're gonna dive into it, but I'll ask you to kind of start with a, a high level executive summary. What is this index? What does it measure uh, and, and what goes into it?
0: Yeah, thanks, Michael. Uh, you know, you're not alone in uh, in folks uh, sort of forgetting about state tax policy and maybe focusing yeah. on some of the more bigger picture items. Uh, and that's that's normal, and that's why people like uh, I, I exist to to sort of navigate the fifty states and the territories. When uh, I mean, we do, we put out this great index every year. It is a it is a robust document. It, it takes a lot of research. Uh, it's a it's a whole team effort in in a lot of ways, and it is really a great snapshot of what the different states are doing. We put this uh, index together. We uh, use five different component areas that we. Uh, sort of rank states uh, against each other. So the big picture, uh, Michael, is uh, competition is good and we see a lot of tax competition between the states. And this index uses the variety of tax issues that we see around the country. We rank states from one to 50. We include the District of Columbia for informational purposes, but they're not part of the ranking. Um, And and at a very high level, the index looks at, again, five areas, at, at corporate income taxes, individual income taxes, property taxes, Sales tax and then you know un- unemployment insurance tax. Importantly, we don't weight every category the same. Uh, so we give greater weight to those categories where we see greater variability between states, or uh, where states are actively doing certain things to compete uh, with other states. And so the the most uh, significant category we see it is is um, in terms of weight is individual income taxes. They take up slightly over thirty percent of the overall index ranking. Um, and then, you know, something like corporate income taxes is 21, a little over 21 percent uh, to give you an idea of how we wait um, and, and where we're seeing variability.
1: Yeah, you know, I've heard America described as a, a laboratory of democracy, right? Different states get to try different things. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And this is a great example of that, where every state has uh, has a lot of their own tax policies. And there are entities like the the Tax Foundation that can come in and say, "Here's what's working, here's what isn't," um, and hopefully, in theory, you can help uh, help states move forward and move towards uh, a tax policy that that makes more sense and is is more competitive from a, a business perspective. So, um, you know, I noticed in in reading the methodology here, one of the things you you, you say as index measures is how well states structure their tax systems. So what are some of the principles of a sound tax policy? Or I guess, you know, conversely, what are some of the the, the principles of an unsound or, or unfair tax policy?
0: Sure. So let me sort of, uh, uh, before I answer the specific question, let me just sort of take a step back. So
1: sure. the, the index, uh,
0: exactly right, looks at structure. Um, and let me just explain that a little bit if people aren't familiar with tax structure. Yeah. When we think about taxes as taxpayers, we're thinking about rates, right? How much am I paying in a rate? What percent of my sales tax, percent of property tax? And that, those are important. Um, and, and and the rate and collections are related, but when we're looking at this, we're not just looking at rates. We're looking at what is in the tax code. How simple is the tax code? How complicated is the tax code? Uh, how many incentives does the tax code need to attract businesses and individuals to that state because the tax code itself is not sound? Um, you know, if, if you're talking about a sales tax, how broad is the base In in, in you know, how low is the rate? Are we really at a very high rate because we we're not taxing as many things? Uh, so we're looking at the structure of what's in the code and what what comprises the code. So I just wanted to sort of set that as a as a table set. We think about sound tax policy really in in four ways. So the the first way is that tax codes should be simple. And I think anyone mm-hmm. listening. Uh, and Michael, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think when we think of the tax code, we do not think of simplicity, right? We think of complexity. Uh, and to sort of put some numbers around that, you know, back in 2016, it was over two billion hours. Uh, you, you heard that correctly. Over two billion hours of of time was spent complying with individual taxes. People are sure. just filing individual taxes. That, that that number is even higher if you're talking about corporate taxes. Now right. that's not necessarily state level, but that's just broad across the board, federal, state, and wherever the compliance is. So simplicity is important. It shouldn't be that hard to to comply with their taxes. Another principle is transparency. Taxpayers should know what taxes they're paying. And yep. uh, if we're if we're doing something like taxing business to business transactions, business to business sales, and in those inputs, well, okay. On one hand, people say, well, businesses should pay the tax. Well, on the other hand, where's that? going that fee is going to the to the tax uh, down the down the line to a retail customer at a higher at a higher retail price right sure. so, so there's not a there, there's no transparency with that kind of a tax so we look t- taxpayers very simply should know what taxes they're paying what fees are they're, they're paying the tax code should also be neutral now neutrality is important because the tax code is should not exist to pick winners and losers that's not what that's what the market's for that's not what the tax code should do and so neutrality exists so that people, individual taxpayers, corporate taxpayers aren't making decisions in the market that they wouldn't otherwise make. Um, and so neutrality is, is, a, is, a, is a really foundational principle. And, and the last one is what we call stability. Stability is that the tax code shouldn't be changing radically over, over years of time. Uh, so each year, you have a sense of predictability as to what taxes you're going to owe. If you put an incentive in place and roll it away in a year or two, well, that that's not a stable that's not a stable way of running your tax code. I'm thinking about it differently. if you are raising a lot of revenue from a particular tax and then you roll that off the books uh, and and what what is that going to be replaced with, right? Um, and so we we see that in in some excise tax areas. Uh, but um, you know at a, at a high level, those are the those are the main principles. Tax code should be simpler. Much much more simple than they are. Uh, they should be transparent. We should know what we're paying. Uh, we should not be picking winners and losers in the market. And the, the code itself should be relatively stable.
1: Yeah. Um, great. That's that's a great summary. Great kind of setting of the table here with kind of those four principles. Of, and I like they touched it in an, a positive way of of what a sound tax policy looks like. Uh, so let's go through the. You mentioned there's kind of five components of this index. Corporate tax, individual income tax, sales tax, property tax, and and unemployment insurance. So now that you've given us those four principles of a, a sound tax policy, let's just go through each one of these. And I'm I'm curious for your you know your thoughts and some examples in, in each of these five of of states that do well that that have a simple, transparent, neutral, stable tax code, and and some that don't. So let's start with uh, with the corporate tax here, which I think you said makes up about twenty percent of the index. Is that right?
0: Uh, yeah, Michael, it makes up yeah, about 21% of the of the of the index. And okay. when we think about corporate taxes, and let me just say writ large here, you don't the number one state in our index is Wyoming. And and it's and people might say, okay, well, Wyoming doesn't have an income tax on a personal income tax or a corporate income tax. And okay, that's true. But you can you can have a a measure of every one of these taxes and still be a very competitive state as long as sure. the code itself is structured correctly. Um, mm-hmm. so when we look at corporate income taxes, we're we are looking at obviously rates and brackets. We're also looking at are the brackets uh, are they indexed for inflation, right? Mm-hmm. With with rising costs, and this is this is true in in across the board in, in the code, is the code itself indexed? Uh, but but we're really looking to see are are we having non-legislated tax increases? Um, and and are we pushing taxpayer taxpayers over simply because of the inflationary effect that we we've seen very recently, right? This is not just not not news uh, here uh so we're looking at at very sound structural things we're also looking at uh in the is the, is a code requiring there to be an incentive in place are we are we are we overcompensating businesses with incentives because the code itself is not structurally sound mm-hmm. right? that's that's what, another one of the things we look at and we and we we do ding states frankly for 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 that because there is it's like a sales tax holiday, which we can get to in a little bit. But it, it's if you have to provide a bunch of incentives to attract business, it's a little bit of a recognition that the code's not competitive. So just fix the code.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. So I, I think, if I'm understanding you correctly, say there's some states where the, the tax code is, is such a mess, complicated, and unfriendly, um, that it then turns off states from doing business there, individuals from, from living there, and you have to turn around and say, like, Okay, we get that our, our tax code is is a mess. But um here's uh you know, here's essentially a, a a red tag sale or so you know some uh, temporary incentive to to get you in the door instead of having to do that instead of having to have that that kind of sweetener why not just books the uh, fix kind of the the root cause i guess um yeah. and i want to go back also to the i think you mentioned a, a non legislative tax increase i think that's an interesting concept as it relates to inflation I wanna make sure I understand that correctly. So for example, there could be a state that says, and I'm just gonna use a totally hypothetical example here. Um, you know, the, the first $10,000 of income, there's no tax on that. But then if you um, do not update that $10,000 number, so $10,000 in a 0% bracket, um, the cost of living goes up, everything else goes up. If that $10,000 remains the same, then, then you're effectively uh, kind of increasing tax rates. Is that right?
0: Yeah, and and yeah, that's that's right. Or if you're, let's say you're an individual taxpayer, uh, filing an ind- individual income tax form every year, your nominal wages may have gone up, you know, yeah. over the course of time. If they're not keeping pace with inflation, you're not your real wage, right? Your your purchasing power in the market clearly has not gone up, but the raw number uh, that you're taking home uh, would suggest that you're in potentially a higher tax bracket, and that's sure. that's that's not fair to that taxpayer. That is. Uh, a non-legislated tax increase on that taxpayer solely because of the impacts of inflation, which could be avoided if the code was indexed to account for that inflation.
1: Sure, that's that's a, a better way of saying it, thank you. Um, I've always found it interesting, there's kind of parts of the, there's numbers that, that go up every year, you know, the, um, the IRA contribution or the, the 401k contribution, and, and you know, in some states, the, the, the tax brackets go up as well. There's other numbers that don't go up. We've had this you know, definition of an accredited investor that's been at a million dollars for I don't know how long. And there's lots of other examples. So um, I don't know if there's there's there may be rhyme or reason to some of it. And, and probably in other cases, there isn't. But um, kind of a, a great point there of a, a hidden tax. Um, so you called out, out Wyoming. What are some some states, a couple examples that score well and score poorly on the corporate tax?
0: Yeah, sure. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I love all the states. I, I lived in Wyoming and uh... Uh, so I have a particular fondness for Wyoming. So I'm glad to see Wyoming doing well in the index. South Dakota. State. It is a beautiful state. South Dakota comes in number two, um, and uh, you know, not to be outdone, Montana is number five, and they don't, you know, they don't have a sales tax. Um, so we do see a lot of states in the top ten that have foregone one or uh, another of the major categories of taxation. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, need to be the case. Um, bottom end of the spectrum, taking home the 50th place. Uh, because of high rates and complexity and uh, high property uh, tax issues is, is New Jersey. Uh, so uh, not, not, a, not a slight on the state at all. Uh, and, and I will say, you know, when we talk about policy, when I talk about policy, I always try to say, I don't know, I, I, I get a chance to meet a lot of policymakers, a lot of lawmakers, to a, to a person, I have not met one who says, I'm going into office to make people's lives worse, right? Mm. I'll go to, right. They, all, they all go into office to make people's lives better. Uh, so I think that a state like New Jersey should take, you know, our ranking of 50 and say we have some real opportunities for growth here, and 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 the index provides a roadmap on how to make on how to make uh, those changes so that we're we're making it better overall. And we are seeing states do that. The last few years have seen unprecedented amounts of states making tax reforms uh, a priority. Uh, so in the wake, uh, so. In the wake of COVID, uh, states are flush with, with revenue with surpluses in many cases, they're using those to, to bring down individual income tax rates, to do uh, really significant rate reductions across the board. In fact, we're seeing more rate reductions now in the last few years than we saw after the post-1986 uh, major federal tax reform at the state level. So, so States are really doing a lot, and we are going to start seeing a shift, I think, from maybe away from... Rate reductions and more towards actual structural reform, which which is just another added benefit across the
1: board. Okay, this is great. You're giving me yeah, you giving me a little hope here. I like this. <laughs> um, well, well, let's move on here to the the second of the five. Uh, I believe you mentioned this is the the largest individual component uh, in your index, the individual income tax rate. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about some of the, the the states or or how some of the principles that you mentioned, uh, simplicity, transparency, neutrality, stability, apply when it comes to the individual income tax. Yeah,
0: it shouldn't shouldn't be that hard to calculate your personal income tax. Unfortunately, it oftentimes is right. And yeah. so, uh, you know, if we look at something like simplicity, I would say something like a standard deduction is is a pretty simple concept, right? This idea that everyone gets a certain deduction uh, before you know, as they're calculating their taxable income at the end of the at the end of the year. Uh, maybe a more tricky uh, or more difficult, less easy, more more complex is something called uh, the itemized deduction, where you're wondering is this counted in my in my deduction? Is it not counted? And then making sure that you're you're uh, uh, you know, working with the law and within the law. In the individual tax area, we see things like the standard deduction. We ask, is that, is that indexed for inflation or is that just staying at the, uh, at, at the rate that it is? Are you conforming to the federal code in, in that sense? Uh, and, and then obviously what, uh, what other, um, the same thing would apply to the corporate side, right? So on the ind- individual side, how many brackets do you have? Uh, are they indexed? Uh, and then what are the sort of, what are the thresholds for those, for those brackets?
1: Got it. So what what are some states that, that score well or poorly uh, on this individual income tax component? Yeah.
0: So so Texas is an interesting state. Texas does not have an individual income tax, and I think this is a really demonstrative of how our index works. So you might think, okay. you know, uh, I, I live in Dallas-Fort Worth now, so I feel I can talk uh, sort of intelligently about Texas. And, and one of the things that the state prides itself on is being low tax, and that's not necessarily untrue. It is certainly true for an individual where we don't charge individual, the state does not levy an individual income tax. But if you're a business, uh, you do have a a significant tax uh, burden. And if you're a property owner, you have a significant tax burden. So our index operates to to obviously reward Texas. It's not in the top 10. uh, And I know Texans do not want to not be in the top 10. Uh, So uh, they fall outside the top 10, number 13. So the idea that, yeah, a state has a really competitive tax code for individuals is Sometimes offset by a negative impact to businesses, or the burden just shifted from from individuals to, say, their sales tax their property tax, or their or their corporate counterparts. And so, that's just one example of a state with no income tax. Another state that does well, you know, obviously Wyoming has uh, no individual income tax. Florida has no individual income tax. Rank ranks in the top uh, top fifty. Not to pick on um, uh, New Jersey. So we'll go to the neighbor, New York, uh, is down in the number forty nine overall ranking. And again, part of that has to do with rates and. Uh, and brackets and and complexity. So, um, but I, I just want to drive that point home that I, I don't want it to seem that you have to be a state that has zero income tax in in order to rank well. That is not true. You just have to have a well-structured tax code, and that code will be just as competitive uh, in many ways as as a state that foregoes one of the major categories of of taxation.
1: yep, yeah, simplicity, right? That was number one, and I I suspect you you started with simplicity for a reason um when when you ran through those four earlier. Um, so you mentioned Texas, the state that I live in, Oregon, is kind of in some ways the opposite of Texas, not very friendly from a uh, a corporate or an individual tax perspective, pretty high rates. Um, but when we get to the next category, it does pretty well, sales tax. Uh, so, And I know that there's more than just sales. Oregon has no sales tax, um, but isn't quite at the top because there's a little bit of nuance to this, this sales tax um, calculation. So talk through through how this analysis com- is completed when you're looking at the sales tax in different states. Sure, so
0: sales taxes are really interesting and you're right, Oregon does not have one. Congratulations, that's wonderful. Uh, and why why might a state that does not have a sales tax not rank as high, say, as another state? And, and a lot of that has to do with what is the base that is making up uh, a sales tax? So if you're taxing sales, right? If you're taxing a sales tax, then uh, the question we ask is, are you taxing everything? Are you taxing some things? Are you tax? Are you preferring some products over others? Uh, you know, I wrote a piece, uh, and we do it every year. Um, but I, I, was one who worked on it this year was this idea of a sales tax holiday. Uh, and in that, you know, I argue, and we, and my organization has argued in the past, that if you have to have a sales tax holiday, if you're providing a holiday from your sales tax once a year, or in some states like Florida, over the course of a period of a year or two for particular products. You're, it's an implicit recognition that the sales tax is not competitive, it's not pro-growth. Mm-hmm. So rather than provide people a one-time temporary holiday, let's just let's just lower the rate and broaden the base, bring in more products that may not be popular to tax, but but are important to tax. Some states choose not to tax from uh, things like groceries. Uh, and, and I understand why, um, it's hard to, for a voter to pallet that I'm gonna uh, impose a tax on groceries, but if you bring in more products that are taxed, you can bring down the rates uh, overall. Now, a state like Oregon doesn't have, uh, or, or say, a sales tax, but doesn't compete well in other areas of the tax code. And so, uh, it, it, again, it is a, a broad brushstroke to say a state is low tax, a state is high tax. It's better to think through what makes my state competitive, what makes my state not competitive. And in the case of a state like Oregon, where you, know, you, you have you're really competitive in one area, there are some complexity issues uh, and some some rate issues that probably should be dealt with along the way. You know, one one area, for example, we see the states are starting to do away with these 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 things. I don't want to get too technical, but there's a, a an, something in that corporate tax code that is called uh, nowhere income. So, what happens when when a when a sale is made and in the, in the, into a jurisdiction from another jurisdiction and and it's not subject to tax in that particular area? Well, the 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 origination state, you know, where the property was may say, well, no, we're going to tax that. If it's not taxed over in, in state B, we're going to tax it over here in state A. Um, and they call those either throw it back rules or throw out rules, but we're going to just, for the sake of argument, to say they're going to tax it. Well, that's not a terribly competitive uh, uh, move. On one hand, it makes sense that businesses should be taxed on prof- profits. That makes sense. But if it's simply where the property was, and it's easy for a business to move that property to a, to a more friendly, competitive neighbor on that front, they're going to do that. And so, uh that's just something in a code that brings your code, it's like a weight on your code, uh, on a mm-hmm. non-competitive, non-pro growth strategy, which if it was eliminated, wouldn't dramatically impact the state's revenue numbers, but would make the state overall much more competitive.
1: Yeah, great great point there. Um, and you're welcome to to nerd out and get into the weeds. I, I love that stuff. So I, <laughs> I love geeking out about uh, about all these, these tax things. And I think everyone who's listening does too. Yeah. Um, so let's keep let's keep moving along here. The fourth is property tax, and not to talk too much about my home state. This is another. I lived in Chicago for 15 years, and then I moved to Oregon and was pleasantly surprised um, at at the the decrease in the the property tax that I saw on my home uh, when I moved here. But again, there's some nuance here. I understand that when you look at property tax in your index, you're also looking at um, some components of the estate tax as well um so so i think if i'm understanding correctly there's a a lot kind of a lot that goes into to property tax it's more than just the annual bill you get for your house um and there's there's quite a bit of of nuance here
0: yeah so property taxes are not just the property uh that we live in right that um but uh so in our property we look at things like how are we taxing tangible personal property that maybe a small business owns uh and and what are the are there any de minimis exemptions for those businesses and i i would Mm -hmm. hope about those because that, that's a really great and fantastic area for states to make some really good reforms that doesn't hurt their bottom line. Now, when it comes to uh, your, your property taxes, we are seeing states in almost every region deal with surging valuations. And these, uh, it's not unique to a particular area. The states that I typically, uh, that I work with are, are seeing this. Valuations are rising across the country. They're, they're, they're not necessarily meaning that they're at a significantly higher tax uh, burden. But it is a, quite a frightening thing when you get a letter in the mail that says, oh, what you thought was a $250,000 valuation is now a, a $350,000 valuation." And in some places yeah. we're seeing, in some places we're seeing property valuations rise 40, 50, 60 percent. You know, of course, inflation has, has increased the cost of government, but it's hard to argue that taxpayers that are seeing 40, 50, 60% valuation growth are getting 40, 50, 60% more or better government, right? So, so these are real things that are, are, uh, are affecting taxpayers. Now, there is a, a real concern here that I have and, and that I, I share with others that because taxpayers are very acutely uh, affected by property valuations, by property taxes, and let me be very clear, property taxes are not uh, a, an inefficient tax. They're actually quite efficient. They're they're let's see, they're simple. You know what they are. They are, they, they, you know, if done correctly, they can be they can be neutral by by impacting every property owner and not shifting burdens. Uh, they they are transparent. You just you open the letter, you know what you're supposed to pay, and they're relatively stable. And they are a revenue builder for local government. And it makes sense to have a property tax. Now the problem with what we're seeing with surging valuations is there could be a a knee-jerk reaction to that. Government saying, you know what, we need to fix this. And we're going to either cap rates, meaning we can't we can't raise rates uh, beyond a certain amount, or we're going to cap assessments, so you can't have a uh, evaluation over X percent per year plus a little bit of inflation. Uh, and and there are some really some some really uh, well intended policies that have detrimental effects uh, if they're not done correctly. And so I, I spend a lot of time working with different states and with policymakers uh, all over the country thinking through what sound tax reform would mean for surging property valuations. So Mm -hmm. that is that that is another another thing that and I mentioned it before, is something like a tangible personal property. Now, if you're a small business, and you are in a state that requires you to pay tangible personal property tax, on let's say your equipment, your machinery, your business, uh, things you need to have your business uh, run, well, there's a lot of tracking that goes into that, and some, sure. some taxpayers are spending a lot of time and a lot of money just in compliance on, on tangible personal property. If you, raise the, if you raise the exemptions, and Rhode Island did it this, uh, this past uh, year, you're taking something like 75 or more percent of the taxpayers just completely off the roll, meaning they're not even having to file for these taxes anymore, and here's the net benefit. It's not a huge revenue hit for the state. So for relatively low impact to state budgets, you can remove compliance burdens for 70, 80% of, of, of taxpayers that are having to file these taxes. And if, if a state like Rhode Island uh, can do it, Connecticut studied it, if these kind of states can do it, there's no reason every state can't really look into these things to the extent that they're charging them. So that, that, that's really our property, our, our property uh, component. Yeah.
1: That's a great point about the the cost of compliance. You know, I, I think I can't remember who said it, but I, I've heard that you know, no matter what your job description, your your job is is sales, uh, meaning you're you know, everyone at a company is responsible for for selling it. You know, in the the modern era, it feels like sometimes no matter what your your job description is, your job is compliance um, because compliance costs have risen so heavily, not just in in regards to taxes, but in in other components of of regulation too. It feels like. There's a lot of jobs or components of of every job that are hours spent uh, weekly on compliance. And to your point, in some cases, it's it's very important compliance. Sometimes it's not. If it's not a big revenue generator or it's not really um, creating positive value for society, um, get rid of that compliance and you you lower costs and and increase efficiency. So um, I think that's a a great point. Um, Let's move on to the last one here. Um, Probably a lot of people don't think about this when they think about state tax rates, but unemployment insurance. Um, explain how this can can vary across states.
0: Yeah, so every state has some level of uh, unemployment insurance tax. It's a federal state issue, um, and that, that's why it's uh, there's not a a whole lot of variability in there. I mean, there is some there's there is variability, but uh, it, it it is the least impactful component of our index. It's uh, slightly under ten percent. So, and in that, we're looking at things like your thresholds and. Uh, are there safe harbors and and that sort of thing? Just just to see what what different states are doing, how they're experimenting with their with their unemployment insurance tax to make it uh, maybe more attractive for for uh, businesses to to be there uh, or or less competitive. Um, and it's one of those things that people, yeah, you're right, don't often think about. But it, and and again, there's it's not as as variable among the states as say an income tax, an individual income tax, or even the sales tax. But it's something that that businesses are going to spend some time on. There's a lot of compliance that goes into it, and to the extent that the tax code enhances. Or uh, competitiveness, uh, you know, it's, it's at least something to, worth looking at. But again, it's it's not the it's the, it's the smallest component of our of our index.
1: Got it. So with that, we've gone through the five: corporate tax, individual income tax, sales tax, property tax, unemployment insurance. I want to circle back just quickly to a couple things you mentioned in there. You, you talked about some of the the trends that you're seeing or you're seeing um, changes. A lot of them in a, what you would view as a, a positive direction. Um, can you dive a little bit deeper into that? Explain some of the states that that you're seeing taking uh, proactive steps and, and simplifying their tax code.
0: Sure. Yeah. So we are sort of coming. Uh, I don't know. I hope we're not in the at the end of it, but we're sort of in the midst, uh, or maybe tail end of the what, what some have deemed the flat tax revolution. A lot of states trying to get to a flat tax. We've seen um, uh, that that's a huge push. Um, but again, more broadly, more states have just decided we're going to bring down individual income tax rates. I know there's a plan in in Iowa, to try to get to to zero at some point, um, with with targeted and measured phase outs over time, uh, we're seeing uh, states uh, like Louisiana take some some pro growth measures by getting rid of their uh, throwback rules that I mentioned earlier. Uh, we are seeing a real appetite for uh, how do we deal with this remote work situation, this post pandemic right? Workers are are traveling. I work for a think tank in Washington D.C. and I'm based in Dallas, Texas. Uh, so how 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 are we don't need to be in the office uh, every every day. A lot of states are are saying, okay, now how do we not lose our revenues and, and at the same time not uh, subject our taxpayers to to double taxation? Uh, and so we're seeing a lot of appetite for things like reciprocity uh, and filing thresholds. You know, that's one of the issues that's that's a real challenge for remote workers. Frankly, people don't think about, but you know, in some uh, in some places, very minimal time in a state checking an email for a day. Uh, or being there for a day could subject you to having to file a return in that state or your employer having to withhold. Uh, and that's not just time consuming, but it, it probably costs more for the internet software that you're using to file the taxes than the actual amount that you would owe or get credited back for, right? So remote workers is, is just a huge, huge issue uh, that we, we engage on. Uh, we are seeing states think uh, more clearly and uh, more thoughtfully about uh, indexing their codes for inflation, especially coming off of a Sort of in the middle of an inflationary cycle. So, what does that look like for codes? Whether it's individual income tax, uh, corporate income tax, some some states have uh, indexed in the individual side, but not on the corporate side. So, we're we're saying mm-hmm. let's, let's look broadly across the code and just make sure we're indexed throughout so that we're we're competitive. Uh, we are seeing um, uh, states tackle property tax issues. They're, they're they're sort of being forced to at this point, right? Um, and sure. property property taxes, like anything else, are really a question of spending, and so. Uh, you know, making sure that our local governments have the funding they need, but at the same time, just what they need, and and making sure that the property tax limitation regimes that are existing, and I'm happy to talk to you about what those are, are are are, are, are actually paying dividends uh, in the sense of good, strong pro-growth tax measures uh, reforms, as opposed to trying to uh, in trying to put a bandaid on one problem and inadvertently creating another one. Uh, so that those that's on property taxes. We're seeing um, states take up t- tangible uh, personal property de minimis exemptions again. That idea of rolling some taxpayers off the rolls without really impacting uh, the the bottom line for the for the state budget. And then really the last thing, then something that we're sort of talking to a lot of states about is um, something that's called permanent full expensing. It came out of the yeah. Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, where you could deduct the full expense amount for a qualifying. Uh, expense, the, the full amount of a qualifying expense of your business. Uh, and it, it, it's beginning to phase out over time and generally states uh, that, you know, it's good to be con- in conformity with the federal tax code in a lot of ways, but in this particular measure, it's not not great. We, we would like, to, uh, it's probably better, uh, it is better policy, more pro-growth, more competitive to allow your taxpayers, your businesses that are coming in to permanently uh, use the deduction in the year that they make the investment in the state. It's a pro-investment move. Uh, and, and, and especially when you're dealing with inflation and the economics of a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow, allowing for that deduction today makes a lot of sense. We're seeing states look into it. Oklahoma was the first in the country to pass a permanent full expensing to decouple from the federal code. So they're, they're a very attractive state from that sense. Mississippi just put, uh, put finalized the bill and, and other states are, are looking at it. So um, we're, we're starting to see a lot of a lot of appetite for that.
1: I guess the, the suboptimal alternative to that is, is forcing companies to capitalize an expenditure, um, whether it be like, you know, I believe in some contexts like software expenditures have to be capitalized, and instead of being able to to write off that full expense in the year that the cash actually went out the door, you amortize it or, or depreciate it over the course of the next several years. And as you mentioned, there's a, a time value of money. So while the ultimate expense May be the same. It's all. You know, it's better to, to capture that entire expense in, in year one when the cash actually goes out the door, instead of spreading it over years one through seven or, or whatever it may be. I'm speaking kind of broadly, but is that the kind of the, the gist of, of what you just touched on?
0: That's absolutely the gist. Now, taking it one step further, I would say that in, in an environment where we're seeing inflation, if you are required to uh, depreciate that asset out over, say, 20, 20 years. You you as a taxpayer are very likely to not get your return on that investment uh, because sure. you're able to take that deduction upfront.
1: Yeah, yep. Um, so kind of related to what you just touched on, you, you talked about um, rolling some tax, getting some taxpayers off the roll in the context of of getting rid of the, ta- the tax on tangible personal property. Are there any other examples of, I guess I'll call it low hanging fruit, um, things that you wish um, states would 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 focus on that could um be relatively easy ways for them to simplify their tax code and move up your rankings.
0: Sure. Yeah, so I would um I would encourage uh, every policymaker out there to to consider things like incentives, right? Are mm-hmm. are are the incentives necessary? If so, why? Uh, on the on the on the issue of sales taxes, if you have if you are in a state that has a sales tax holiday, why are we providing a holiday from uh, at a particular time of year on a particular product? And just to, not to pick on sales taxes, but in a way to pick on sales taxes, because they're just so we see them every year. They're advertised sales tax holiday on backpacks and school supplies. And it sounds great. I mean, it's a great. Who doesn't want a sales tax holiday? I would actually rather just have lower rates, frankly, yeah. overall. Uh, but but OK, great. I, I like holidays as much as, the, as much as the next person. But it does have a real negative effect of let's take this one little example. You're a back to school sales tax holiday uh, that is on school supplies. Sounds great. Every kid goes to get a backpack. Well, what if you're that one kid that doesn't want a backpack, they want a messenger bag? And let's say messenger bags aren't counted in this back-to-school supplies. Well, from our from our list of things that we look at for sound tax policy, uh, from a neutrality standpoint, we can't say that it's fair to the messenger bag or to the messenger bag manufacturer that they don't get the same sales tax uh, holiday that, say, a backpack would. So we are, in some ways, and it's a, it's a trivial example, I get it, but it does highlight a rather a larger point that these holidays have the tendency to... Privilege certain products over others, certain manufacturers over others. When in reality, we could just broaden the base, lower the rates. Everybody's better off over the course of the year. And you know what? Messenger bags aren't being discriminated against.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's, I like that. We can't discriminate against messenger bags. That's a a, a good a good platform there. Um, I mean, it does get back to what, what you said about simplicity. I mean, it's a it's a great point. And I was having a you know a flashback to the days of uh, of, of COVID where you know you the um, the um um some businesses were allowed to be open and i could go buy a tv at target because it was um you know with uh, a, a a business that was allowed to be open but you couldn't go to the electronic stores because electronic stores weren't uh anyways i don't want to take a step off off on a tangent there but you saw pictures of, of hardware stores where the gardening supplies were roped off because you well know, someone has to determine uh you know what's essential and and what isn't and you know kind of a similar concept here well you, someone has to determine What's back to school supply and and what isn't? Um, and I love my messenger bag, so um, I don't want any any kids out there who are thinking about picking one up to be discriminated against. Um, well, this has been really informative. I, I appreciate this Let um, me think about you know not just what the the rate is but what the structure is, um, what's simple, what's transparent, what's neutral, um, whats what's stable and what goes into, to sound tax policy. Uh, my last question for you, folks want to uh, learn more about you where can they go to find you?
0: Great, yeah. I'm at, um, uh, I'm at taxfoundation.org. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to reach out. I, I, I really enjoy speaking about taxes and speaking to people who are interested in this and learning uh, from from a variety of, of viewpoints. So taxfoundation.org. Uh, please read our index, or at least uh, find your state and see how you rank it relative to your neighbors. There's an interactive tool on our website as well. And just to plug one other publication we we put out um, our facts and figures, uh, and it's uh, it's on our website. It's over 30 tables really quick, uh, easy to digest information on per capita collections and things like uh, how much you pay in property taxes in your state on average, th- those sorts of things. And those those are just really quick resources that we find helpful, whether you're a policymaker or a taxpayer
1: or both. Wonderful. And I will be sure that all of those are in the show notes. So go check the show notes and we'll have links to, to all the resources that Manish just mentioned. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Appreciate it.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back
0: soon with another episode.